0: you'd like to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, we will be there in just a moment, Acts chapter 6. Take a moment to add my welcome, appreciate everyone being here, appreciate our visitors coming our way. Appreciate you being here on this Lord's Day. We seek to worship God as we see prescribed in the New Testament. That is our aim, nothing more, nothing less. So we hope that you are encouraged by our worship here this morning on this Lord's Day. Recently, I was challenged. I was challenged to preach a lesson about Jesus using only Isaiah 53. Um, This, of course, is referring to Acts chapter 8, which we um, read from this morning, where Philip teaches the Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus. And the text that he happens to begin with there is in Isaiah 53. So, in order to do this, in order to accept this challenge that this gauntlet had been thrown down, uh, I felt it necessary to consider the text in Isaiah 53 that's quoted there in Acts chapter 8 and to draw some necessary conclusions based on the outcome of Philip's teaching. Now, this is not to put words in Philip's mouth that the Holy Spirit did not understand that. Nor is this an attempt to to write in between the lines, something we are warned repeatedly in Scripture not to do. This is simply looking at the account, the situation leading up to the account, and Philip's background to fully understand the result of his teaching. Now, as I was going through this and preparing for this, I realized this was going to need to be a two-part lesson. So we're going to do part one today and Lord willing we come here again next week we'll do part two so I encourage you to come back for part two. And let me tell you a little bit about part two. We're going to go on, uh, I'm going to go back to the original challenge uh, and, and preaching a lesson only from Isaiah 53. And for that I'm going to take a little bit of artistic license based on the challenge. I wouldn't be doing my job as an evangelist if I didn't utilize the complete, revealed Word of God. So while I will be using Isaiah 53 to preach a lesson about Jesus, the points that I'll be making will be bolstered, will be backed up by what we read in the New Testament. So just bear that in mind. We understand that Philip would not have had the New Testament which is one of the reasons for this challenge that has been given to me, he would have had the only, only the Old Testament record. But we also must understand some. there's some things about Philip that we need to understand that would qualify him to preach in this way, and to proclaim the gospel in this way. Some of those things were miraculous. Some of those things were not. So for this lesson, we're going to talk about Philip mostly, look at his background, look at the things that led up to the account here that we're going to look at, and we're going to consider him and the message that he delivers to this this Ethiopian eunuch. So let's start by considering who Philip was. Philip was one of the men chosen here in Acts chapter 6 to serve the congregation in Jerusalem. Read with me verses 1 through 6 here in chapter 6 of Acts. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose among the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, Seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. We see here, with these uh, seven men that are chosen here, we see the beginnings of the office of deacon. And we can say that because in verse 2 it says there, And there are the twelve summoned the congregation, the disciples, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. The word there in Greek, um, that we translate as serve tables, is diakonia. That's the Greek word, which simply means to serve, to serve tables. We see this word also over in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 10, when the qualifications for deacons are given from Timothy, uh, from Paul to Timothy. And it says there, uh, as, as, as Paul is outlining this, it says those who serve as deacons. And that's the same Greek word, this diokonia. It's the same word. So here in Acts chapter 6, we see the beginnings of the office of deacon. And later Paul will go on to tell Timothy more about that in greater detail about what these men's uh, characteristics should be if they're going to serve in the office of deacon. Note the qualifications for these men here in verse 3. It says, But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation full of the spirit, and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. So we see early on some qualifications for these men, the things that they had to be from the outset, Um, good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. So these were men who needed to be devout. They were devout men already before they actually were put into this office. They were already a known quantity before they were put in the office. But in verse 6, it says there, and these they brought before the apostles. So these seven men were brought before the apostles here in Jerusalem, at the Jerusalem congregation. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. The apostles were given this ability to lay hands on others by the Holy Spirit himself. There in Acts chapter 2, when they're gathered there in the upper room and the Holy Spirit descends upon them, they're granted with these powers speaking in tongues, prophesying, all these things and the ability to perform signs. And they were then able to pass on some of these spiritual gifts by the laying on of their hands. In Acts chapter 18, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 8, verse 18, says, Now when Simon, this, this is speaking of Simon the sorcerer, saw that the Spirit was bestowed by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Here we see a clear reference to how Philip and others were able to perform the things that they did by the laying on of the apostles' hands. So Philip was preaching and performing signs to confirm the things that he was saying. Look down in, uh, or look over in chapter 8 for just a moment of Acts, verses 6 and 7. And the multitudes of one accord were giving attention to that was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. And in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, uh, out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So here is Philip uh, preaching the word of God and confirming the things that he was saying by the ability to perform signs. So not only was Philip from the outset, a devout man, full of spirit and wisdom. He also had the Holy Spirit imparted to him by the laying on of the apostles' hands. Also, let's notice who this Philip is not. This is not Philip the apostle. If you look back in chapter 1 of Acts, in verse 13, it says, And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. This is the day that they're talking about, or Jesus' disciples, his His apostles. where they were staying. And here's who that, that was. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all were of one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This, of course, goes on to the account of the selecting of Matthias to take the place of Judas Iscariot, who had killed himself. So this is not the Philip we're talking about. Notice also back in chapter 6 and verse 6 we've mentioned this before. It says after these seven were chosen they were brought before the apostles. So this Philip the deacon was brought before the apostles and then Philip the apostle would have been one of those number. Also look over in chapter 8 again in verse 1. It says, And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That was mentioning the accounts there in chapter 7 of Stephen. And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So when this persecution of the church takes place, Philip is going to be the, the one of those that is scattered. But note it says that, except the apostles, the apostles remain there in Jerusalem. So we know that this is not Philip the Apostle. This is Philip the Deacon, as we have mentioned. This is also the same man who would be referred later to as Philip the Evangelist. Since the church had been persecuted and the saints were scattered, Philip went from his role as a deacon in the the church there in Jerusalem to an evangelist. And this assured, by the way, that the gospel was going to continue to go out. As Jesus had prescribed... Back in chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what we just mentioned when they're gathered there in the upper room. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the world. So Jesus lets them know that this, the word of God is going to start here in Jerusalem, but it's going to spread out to all parts of the world. And so this scattering that takes place here from Jerusalem aids in helping that. Back in chapter 8, look at verse 4. It says, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So this is Philip the evangelist now that we're talking about. Verse 5, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. So here we have Philip leaving Jerusalem, going down to Samaria and begin his work as an evangelist. as we read in verse uh, 40 of chapter uh, 8 Philip would wind up in Caesarea after the events that take place with the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch says but Philip found himself in Azatos, and he passed through, kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea so here's Philip's journey as he's going out preaching the gospel and he winds up in Caesarea we read about him again over in chapter 21. I know we're doing a lot of flipping, but all this is going to come together here as we go along. Over chapter 21 uh, of Acts, in verse 8, it says, And on the next day when we departed and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. So there Philip is, is recognized again. Philip the Evangelist, of Philip one of the, one of the seven this same man. He once was a deacon, now he's serving as an evangelist. From all this we understand what a devout, wise, full of the Holy Spirit man this Philip was. And in 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 addition to that he was endued with the powers from the Holy Spirit by the laying on of the apostles hands, giving him the ability to perform signs and he was a preacher of the gospel. He became an evangelist. When the persecution happened there in, the, in Jerusalem, he went from being a deacon to becoming an evangelist. Now he's going to be called on for a special mission. Let's go back to chapter 8. Philip had already had some success. Um, As a preacher, he was preaching the gospel there in Samaria. Um, But he's going to be called for a special mission. And this is the account that we have of the, the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And we read this just a moment ago, but basically, Philip catches up with the Ethiopian's chariot, where he's reading from Isaiah. And Philip asked him if he understood... The things that he was reading, and he says, how can I unless someone guides me? So Philip commences to preach Jesus to him. After this, the Ethiopian sees water, and he says, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip tells him that if he believes, he can. So what is the Ethiopian's response? He says, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so they they stop the chariot, they go down into the water, and Philip baptizes him. Note, as we go through this and understand, there's nothing miraculous in the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now there's something miraculous on both ends of it, kind of bookending this. If we look back in verse 26... But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south of the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So here we have Philip being directly commissioned by this angel of the Lord. And down in verse 29, it says, And the Spirit said to him, Go up and join the chariot. So here we have the Lord speaking to him through an angel, through the Spirit, letting him know what he must do. And then over in verse 39, it says, they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. So while the events that, that took place in the middle of him preaching to him, Jesus, and baptizing him, there's nothing miraculous in, there in that account, but on either side of it we see the miraculous things taking place. And that's important for us to know. It's important for us to understand because we can understand that conversion can take place without miracles. There is no need for miracles today since we have the complete will of God. And it's contained in the Old and New Testament. Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 13 about when the perfect has come, that is the complete revelation from God, the things done partially will be done away with. Those things are the spiritual gifts that have been given to individuals, each one having a prophecy or a a tongue or knowledge, those partial things were done away with when the complete will of God came to be. that's important for us to understand, because those spiritual gifts died out over time. So what then did Philip say to him? Look back in verse 32 in chapter 8. It says, now the passage of Scripture which was reading from was this. It goes on to quote there from Isaiah. This is verse 7 and 8 in Isaiah 53. Um, In verse 35, he says, And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the Scripture, he preached Jesus to him. What What did Philip say to him? We know where he started, but what did he say to him? And it's the beginning at this point... From, from Isaiah 53, that, that he tells him about Jesus. So let's go back for a moment and look in Isaiah 53. <clears throat> Turn with me back to Isaiah 53. We want to look here directly at the account that he's quoting from. Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who were considered, he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. This is where Philip started. This is where the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from. When he caught up to him. So think about the things that are, that are here in this, in this passage. Oppressed and afflicted. Think about our Lord as we, as we read here as we gather around the table. Uh, terrible things that, that, that befell him. The mock trial that they put him on. The scourging. Hanging him on a cross. It speaks of the sacrificial lamb. We spoke about this in our class this morning. About this lamb that was led to slaughter silent before his shears, he was falsely accused he was taken away to die this trial that they had was a farce trumped up charges Pilate washing his hands of of this and telling the Jews to put him to death and he was put to death for the sins of others you know it's one thing to to be guilty of a sin worthy of death. It's another thing to be innocent and to be put to death for the sins of others. This is what our Lord did. From here, we don't know exactly what Philip said to him. Because it said, from here, opening his mouth, he preached Jesus to him. So we're left to wonder. But there are some things that we can be assured of that he told him but let's remember for a moment the things we know about philip he was a devout man he was wise he was full of the holy spirit which means he would have known the old testament he would have known about the prophet isaiah and the writings there he had been further empowered by the holy spirit the apostles laid their hands on him he was further empowered to perform signs to confirm the things that he was preaching. And he had already been successful in preaching the gospel. He says he went to Samaria there and he's preaching and he's baptizing, even Simon the sorcerer. But the Lord called him for a special mission, called him to catch up with this one from Ethiopia and to tell him the gospel of our Lord. So the question the Ethiopian asked him was, uh, is this, is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? He would have told him that yes, indeed, he's talking about someone else. He's talking about the coming Messiah. And that Messiah is Jesus Christ. He would have told him that salvation was only available through this man, Jesus Christ. He would have told him that believing this message meant that recognizing that indeed Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Who else could he be? And and he would have told him that he must repent and be baptized. Just like Peter told that multitude there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. How do we know that he told him these things? Again, let's take caution We can't speak where the Bible doesn't speak. But we can surmise these things, we can understand, we can conclude these things by the Ethiopian's response. Remember what he says at the conclusion of the of this? He says, Look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? He realized in order to be saved that he must be buried in baptism. So we know that Philip had to tell him something about that. This is a a powerful example of what is required for salvation. Yes, we must believe, as is so clearly evident in this account. Believing. And yes, salvation is only available through the grace of God. Without God's grace, salvation is not available. Without God's grace, salvation is not possible. But God requires us to act. He requires us to surrender in baptism. As we see in the conversions, in all the conversions in the book of Acts. We see those who accepted being baptized. Those who believed being baptized. All the conversions in the book of Acts, we see this. This account here is so instructive. It illustrates the character and abilities of this evangelist, Philip. It shows how the gospel begins going out into all the world, as our Lord commissioned his disciples to do. It shows how the prophecy of the coming Messiah is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And just how much information there is about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It shows us the power of the gospel. How it can cause someone to realize they are lost. And the only way they can be saved is through Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. And it tells us one other important thing. It tells us how the kingdom of God is expanded, one soul at a time. Think about this mission that Philip has sent on. Here's this one man returning to Ethiopia from Jerusalem in his chariot. And he's reading from Isaiah. And the Lord sets apart Philip to go and catch up with this man and tell him the gospel. And because of that effort, nothing miraculous. Just telling him, preaching to him about Jesus Christ. Explaining to him that he must be baptized to be saved. And we see this one surrendering in baptism. Going down into the water and being baptized. It's a powerful message. Next week. We're going to look at Isaiah 53 again. We're going to look at all the prophecies there about our Lord, where he came from, the suffering that he underwent, and God's attitude towards all that. But I wanted to start with this background about Philip, about how he was able, from this one scripture, to expand using his knowledge of scripture, using his devout nature to tell this one about Jesus Christ. You've heard about Jesus Christ today. You heard about this Messiah that was prophesied so long ago. It has been revealed to us. And we have the complete will of God given to us in the Old and the New Testament to tell us about the coming Messiah, And about those prophecies fulfilled. Now it's up to each one of us to respond to that. To be baptized for the remission of our sins. If you have not done that, waters are ready. If you as a child of God have stumbled, and you're not leading the life that you should be leading as a child of God, You can make that correction, too. If it's of a private nature, make the correction. Pray to God. Ask Him for forgiveness. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive us if we do that. If it's of a public nature and you need the prayers of the congregation, we can help you with that, too. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.